Hi everyone, welcome back to Seek First Podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Rick Brown here. Take a minute to subscribe to Seek First Podcast. I really appreciate it. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready, grab your Bible, prepare your heart and your mind. Let's roll. You will be turning to Exodus chapter 14, Exodus 14, for our message, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Between a Rock and a Hard Place. There's times in our life where it seems like there's this perfect storm of all the circumstances that box us in, and truly, there's only one way out, and that is the Lord's deliverance. And whether it's a a bad week, a bad relationship, a situation, a legal situation, whatever it might be, there are times that you and I just get in predicaments. Sometimes of our own stupid decisions, we get ourselves in a pickle. Sometimes because we're in the center of God's will, we get ourselves in a pickle. I was uh, coming out of the mini mart that was down the road from my house, and uh, I lived in rural Idaho. At the time, I was pastoring a church and starting a church there, and as I came out, I heard the anguish in a young man's voice that was over there on the payphone, and he seemed super distraught, so much so that I just paused by my vehicle because I was actually concerned for this young guy, and he gets off the phone just totally dejected, and I said, you all right? And he goes, he goes what a day, what a day. He said, could you give me a ride? And I said, sure, where do you want to go? He goes, back up Taylor Creek. And I said, okay. And so he gets in the rig and he said, he said, I'm 19 years old. And it's been my dream for the last year to become a cowboy and work for this this, uh, cattle rancher. And I have a lot of admiration for him. I wanted to get a job. I've been talking to him. And he just hired me today's day one. It's Monday. And uh, he said, it couldn't have went worse. And I said, well, What's he got you doing? He said, well, I'm getting these cows out of this brush up here at Taylor Creek. And I couldn't get this cow. She won't stay out of the brush. So I roped her, and then I tied her to a tree. Now, that's not what you do when you rope a cow, tie it to a tree, because she took all the slack, run full tilt, and broke her neck. So on day one, he's got a, a dead cow on his first day. And he says to top it off, He said, somebody came by, and I've already, he said, this is the second phone call. I've come down here, made a call, and then went back because I called a friend that would uh, come out and give me a ride. I have to go, you know, talk to the the owner, and I, I couldn't bring myself to call him directly yet. And so he said, my friend comes around the corner in my car. He, for some reason, is their roommates or something, and he had had his car and had dropped him off, and now he's coming back. So... Here he is sitting on a rock with a dead cow with a rope around his neck. Now, this is an Idaho story, you guys. <laughs> this is not what typically happens for you guys. But this young man, he says, and I was sitting on this rock with a dead cow over there. And he said, when the, my friend came around the corner, it's a gravel road, he thought he would be funny, and he started doing this with my car. He lost control right in front of me and rolled the car over now, at this point, you're thinking, I'm thinking, I don't know what you've been smoking, dude. Like, I don't think, I'm going to get to the road. I'm definitely going to go see this. Is there a dead cow? And is there a, a wrecked vehicle? <laughs> 
He said, to top it off, I just bought me a brand new elk rifle, a Ot, uh, a Ot 6 with a new scope, and it was in the trunk of my vehicle, but because he rolled down the road, I told him, if I got one scratch on my new gun, I'm going to kill you. He, he was more concerned about the gun than his friend, the car, the cow, or anything else. And so I come around this corner, and there's, there's his car on its roof in the middle of the gravel road with his friend sitting on top of it and the dead cow right there. So the kid was telling a story, and this was his first day of work. I don't think he had a second day of work, <laughs> probably with this gentleman. Now, depending on where you've been in life, you may not have experienced a rock and a hard place to the degree that you actually fear for your life. In this story in Exodus chapter 14, after a long struggle with Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the children of Israel have finally left Egypt. They've gotten out, but now there's one final blow that this oppressor's going to try to give to those who are oppressed, and God is going to use it for his glory. Check this out. We're going to stand and read the first nine verses. Would you stand with me? Hopefully you made your way to Exodus chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Piharoth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land, and the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. His horsemen and his army overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Haroth before Baal-Ziphon. Lord, we pray that you would touch our hearts. There are some here today that feel um, cornered, Lord. The circumstances, the issues, the challenges of their life have them in a place that they don't know what to do. And Lord, by your grace and your spirit, I pray that we would feed upon who you are and your faithfulness to help your people in time of need, and that you would strengthen each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, first, the where of the deliverance, because between the rock and the hard place, most of us want to be delivered from our circumstances, but sometimes the Lord takes us through our circumstances. And those are two different approaches, right? You might be in the middle of conflict, and you're just hoping, you're wondering when the Lord's going to deliver you out. And the Lord's like, no, the way for you is through this situation, and I'm going to give you strength to do it. So for them, the way of, the where of deliverance is the Lord spoke to Moses, telling the children of Israel to turn and camp in this place. Now, where they camped, 
The Red Sea was behind them, mountain ranges on each side, and there's no way out. They're basically a box in place. And the Lord told them to go there specifically so that he then, as the result of all of this, the why of this deliverance and this rock in the hard place, you guys camp here, and this is the reason, so that I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army. You see, the Lord says, I'm going to let you be in a place that you're bait. The enemy's going to come after you because he's going to think, you know, you guys are bewildered by the wilderness, and he's going to think that he can crush you and destroy you one last opportunity. Now, what do you do when you have been prayerfully seeking the Lord and then you're led into a place that seems like it's a dead end between a rock and a hard place? When you get there, there is a frustration that you humanly feel like, hey, we prayed about this. How come I find myself in this situation to bring glory to God? I don't want to bring glory to God. I want to get out of this, right? There's this, this sense in which if I'm seeking God, my life, People have the misconception that to be in the center of God's will means to be surrounded with easy, pleasant, peaceful circumstances. That is a naive perspective about life, right? Oftentimes when you're dead center in God's will, it's like World War III going on around you, relationally and difficulties and challenges. As a matter of fact, the more you step into the center of God's will, the more the enemy will attack you to divert you from God's will. So oftentimes, the evidence of conflict, the evidence of people pursuing you, the evidence of the hatred of individuals is proof that you are in the center of what God has for you, though it be unpleasant, though it's uncomfortable. And that's where the Lord tells him, hey, I want you guys to go on a camp out by the beach. Bring your Frisbees and beach balls and somebody's going to try to kill you. <laughs> Can you see him out there having a picnic and here comes this army. Now there's nothing that will ruin your sense of elation because they've finally been delivered from slavery. Right? They're going to forget that in a moment. But right now they're, they're basking in there. Hey, we're free. We're free. Now, they're not going to do that well with their freedom because once we've been basically oppressed and slaves, once we get autonomy, we have to figure out how to have self-direction, self-reliance, self-defense. It's like somebody that is institutionalized. If you've been in prison for 20 years and you come out and you're used to telling somebody telling you when to get up, when to go to bed, when to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, what to do, this is your exercise time, and then you get out, you're like, oh. Oh, you, you mean I got to pay the bills and I got to go to work and I got to figure out what to do with my life. So the children of Israel are in a place that God wants them because God says, I am going to bring glory to myself through your impossible situation. Your impossible situation, your camp out for God being in the center of his will is going to give God an opportunity to come through and to deliver you and get glory in your life, your family's life, your friend's life, and everybody that knows you, God wants to reveal himself to humanity, and he often does it through times of conflict, as uncomfortable as that is. Now, it tells us that Pharaoh, 
Now, just so that you know, if you're not very familiar with the Bible in the Old Testament, the Old Testament picture is a picture of the Pharaoh being a picture of Satan, the children of God being delivered by a Savior, Moses, and they go out and they're going to go into the Red Sea. That's their baptism through the Red Sea, right? And they're going to go to the promised land. So the picture of the devil and his servants is this picture that we have that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, with principalities and powers and rulers in this dark world, satanic forces, demonic forces. In verse 5, we see the who that they're going to be delivered from. Now, it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? They left, let their whole labor force go, right? Why did we do this? All of our slave labor. The monuments that tourists go to see in Egypt, the pyramids, were built by slaves. They're no longer going to be able to build these things because the Egyptians did not do this to their own people. They did it to the Israelites. And they've just lost their workforce. Now, granted, there was 10 great plagues. You know why they finally let them go. The last one was the firstborn of everybody died if they weren't under the blood of the lamb. Even Pharaoh's son, his firstborn, died. How many of you are firstborn in this room? Raise your hand. Wow. We would have lost a lot of good people. <laughs> right? Unless you would have been under the blood. You're here, so you would have been under the blood. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> so... That rocked Egypt, but now they've recovered from the grieving of losing their firstborn, and they want to recapture their slaves. And that's the spiritual illustration. When you come out of your sin and bondage, the devil is not content to let you go easily. He will want to come after you. He will want to bring you back. He wants to bring you back into slavery so that you will be his servant to build his kingdom of darkness. God wants to bring you out, deliver you so that you can help build the kingdom of God. These Egyptians now zero in and start coming after them. Now, it's only natural that we would become fearful when we need to be delivered from tough circumstances, as we see in verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Fear makes people irrational, illogical, and forgetful. Right? <gasps> It was better back as a slave. Now, when is it ever better back as a slave? In your whole life. And we'll see when they get hungry, they're like, oh, we remember being around the pots of meat with the garlic and the leeks and the onions and all the vegetables of Egypt. Oh, we long for a meal back in Egypt. She's like, are you idiots? You were slaves. But you see, when you go through hardship, you think, and this is, I've had people tell me this. I've been a Christian for six months. Since I've come to Christ, everything's fallen apart. It was better back there as an ungodly person in the bondage of sin. I'm like, you are delusional, right? I knew you then, 
you were, but when you go through hardship, you think somehow this place of least resistance, oh, just, you know, come and enslave us again. Here we go. We'll be your slaves because we're afraid. Because people will always give up liberty for security because of fear. If you're filled with faith, you will not give up security or liberty. You'll just get it from the Lord. Okay? So they come telling Moses, isn't this what we told you? We want to stay here in Egypt. <laughs> Is there not enough cemeteries in Egypt? We're going to die out here in the wilderness. Because ultimately, self-preservation and the fear of losing your life is the greatest fear that any person has, right? You're afraid to die. So right now, they, they know that uh, Pharaoh is coming to either enslave them or kill them. And fear makes us irrational. Some of us right now have become irrational in this season. You're afraid of some things. And you're starting to think or behave or to act in ways that are in conflict with where the Lord has brought you thus far in your faith. He's taking care of you. He's been with you. He's going to help you. He doesn't, the, the, the Spirit of God doesn't lead you to a place that the grace of God will not keep you and take care of you. So realize this, where God's Spirit leads you, His grace will keep you. He will help you. He brought them to the campground to destroy the Egyptians. That's what the Lord said, and I'm going to bring glory to myself, but the, the Israelites are just freaked out because it's too close for comfort. Now, granted, when you see a military machine coming at you, and what do you have? I, I got a stick. <laughs> right? Like if, if the Russian army's invading and the Ukrainian farmer's sitting there with a pitchfork going, this is not good. This, this is not a good plan. So, <laughs> it makes us rational. That's why it's so important to be in a community of faith because when I totally forget about God's faithfulness, I need people to remind me how good God is. I need my wife to. I need my, my kids to. I remember, you know, this, <laughs> I was, when you're a poor preacher and you're starting out, I mean, everything is just hand to mouth. Every time you get, you know, $20 in savings, something goes wrong and you got a young family and you're making nothing. And we were out in this old farmhouse on a couple of acres and uh, the septic system went bad. And so it's backing up sewage into our farmhouse. And I'm already strapped. We have no money. I'm just thinking to myself, I have this guy come and look at it. And uh, he checks it out and says, well, this is going to cost you, you know, $1,800 to $2,500. And, you know, and I'm like, I just don't have the money. And um, so I'm talking to him, and my son's like six, Caleb. And he's walking around in circles. He's got his hands in his pocket, and he's walking around the septic. And I'm talking to this guy. And I'm just, I just... It's weird when you get wrapped up. Literally, I just, I just forgot about God's faithfulness because of a bunch of poop. Literally, that's what took place, right? And, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do in the house? And I don't, I don't have any money. And, and my son's walking around in circles, and he's got his hands in his pocket. And he's like, Dad, Dad. Now, the last thing you want when you're thinking about a poop problem is your six-year-old going, Dad, Dad. He's like, Dad, Dad. And I finally go, yes, son. And he goes, you're troubled about nothing. Jesus is going to take care of our little poop problem. He says, I'm gonna, and I said, well, son, why don't you pray right now? So I'm talking to an unsaved septic guy. And our six-year-old's walking around in a circle. Jesus, we just pray that you would heal this, whatever that means, you know. <laughs> and his childlike faith is marching around our septic system praying for the poop problem. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm like, Amen. 
The guy goes away. I have to go to church. This was a Saturday. I had to go to church on Sunday. And on Monday, it's like everything drained. And it not only drained, I never had another problem for the next two years. It was like this six-year-old's, how do I forget these things? I'm the preacher. The six-year-old should have been preaching on Sunday, right? He was filled with faith. Should have stood up, you know, six years old. You know, dad stayed home. He has no faith, but I'm going to share the word today. It's like. <laughs> it's because in your situation, when you're looking to only human answers and you have none, you become overwhelmed. You just forget the Lord. How is it that I forget the Lord? I do it all the time. My wife will remind me. My kids will remind me. All the time, you know, raising my kids, they would constantly, you know, in a backhanded, beautiful, sweet way, I raised them in the Lord, and then they would just tell me all the stuff I told them, right? Why don't you trust, why don't you trust God, Dad? Have you prayed about it? <laughs> I was tearing through the house. I have an appointment. I'm late. I'm looking for my keys. You're, you know, you lose your keys. Where's my keys? I don't know where my keys And I'm going all over. I'm starting to get fresh. I'm going to be late. I hate to be late. It's, late. it's like a pet peeve. And my daughter, she's like nine. She's sitting on the couch. She's like, Dad. I'm like, honey, have you seen my keys? No, Dad, Dad, Dad have, you, have you prayed to find your keys? No, honey, but right now I'm not really in the mood. Would you pray for me? And she said, Jesus, help my dad. He's always losing his keys. You know, she's just so honest. Like, and as soon as she prayed, I'm like, here they are. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Georgia. How is it? How is it that you and I can be, have a saving faith that's going to take us to heaven, but we don't think that same faith is just going to take care of us today? We just forget it. We totally just miss it. The Israelites forget about God's faithfulness. And now we see the faith of deliverance because this is what God wants us to have. In verse 13, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Wow, that's a great promise. Stand still and just see the salvation of the Lord. And when you're boxed in and you know you're in this place because you prayed to get yourself in this box, and God, okay, you have me here, I guess you've got to come through with the answer. A few weeks ago, I shared with you through an event that I'm going to be involved with with Charlie Kirk and planning meetings that were happening in Idaho for an event in April. Uh, this group that got involved with us, we thought we're going to be helpful, and then it kind of dissolves that pathway forward. So now this person's suing the individuals that are putting this on. And I got a kind of a, one of those 911 texts a couple of weeks ago. And they said, what do we do now? But they had surrendered the event to the person. They go, oh, you want to do it? You just do it. We're stepping back. But when uh, the turning point found out about it, they said, no, we, we want to work with you guys, not them. And so they dissolved their contract and then gave it back to these individuals that had given it up. And I had sent this verse to them that uh, the Egyptians you see today, you will see no more. And not knowing I was going to preach on it. But I said, you know, you guys surrendered that and like Abraham offering Isaac, and then the Lord's given it back to you. Now you can stand and see the salvation of the Lord because you know you're exactly where the Lord wants you. So this person can sue you. He can do whatever. You just stand. There's no weapon that's fashioned against you that's going to prosper. God's with you. Maybe you need to hear that today. Just, hey, stand 
still and see God's salvation for what he's going to do in your circumstance. The most beautiful, powerful place that a child of God has is a place where they have absolutely no options and they have nothing but weakness. They cannot solve it. And they look and they take their weakness and they lay hold of God's strength and say, God, please work. That's the place of the most power on planet Earth at any given moment. Now, the foreword of deliverance. This is funny because verse 15 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. <laughs> go forward. Well, there's a problem with going forward. There's, a, there's an ocean in front of them. It's the Red Sea. You're just going to march off into the water. <laughs> But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So there's this ocean. Now think about it. From the time that God called Moses, he said, what's that in your hand? It's a stick. It's a rod, right? Like a walking stick. And this is the element by which faith for Moses is, hey, take that and stretch it out over the water. And when you do that by faith, I'm going to part those waters. Now, obviously, you and I hear of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, or the parting of the Jordan River. And it's, some of us have heard it from Sunday school age. And we think, now, now this is the first on record of an ocean being parted, just so that you know. Nobody's seen this before. This is the, this is the first time. So the thought that the God of the universe would part the waters is a foreign concept to them. Because there's no way out of this, right? The, here's the Egyptians. Uh, there's no way out of this. Well, Look how scary it actually is. The defense of deliverance in verse 19. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud of dar and darkness to the one. And it gave light by night to the other. So that the one did not come near the other all night. Pretty terrifying. Here comes this entire Egyptian army, 600 choice chariots and other chariots and cavalry and uh, infantry. They're all coming. And so the pillar of cloud, which is so cool, right, as the children of Israel are led out, by day they have this pillar of cloud. And whenever the pillar of cloud moved, they packed up tents and they just followed it till it stopped and then they camped, right? It could be for two days, three days, three weeks, one month. It didn't matter. Wherever the pillar moved. Now at night, it turned into a pillar of fire so that they could see at night, they could travel at night. They had this huge nightlight, right, for the camp, and it was over the tabernacle of the Lord. And so whenever it moved, night or day, the day it created a um, cloud to shade the children of Israel from the intense summer heat. It was like God's amazing grace. But now it says the angel of God. Every time you see the angel of the Lord or the angel of God in the Old Testament, most Bible scholars believe that this is a theophany or a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus showing up to have a personal encounter with his people. And here the cloud moves to the back of the camp. You see, it's always leading the camp. But here in defense, it goes to the back of the camp, and it is darkness to the Egyptians, absolute darkness. But on the other side, it's light for the children of Israel. 
You see, those enemies that come against us are living in darkness. But God gives us his light, his comfort, his intimate relationship through the difficulties that we have. And the enemies of the Lord, they do not get to enjoy that same light that you and I have. That's why they're gnashing their teeth at us because of our message. The Antifa and BLM and all these people that attack us nonstop because they hate the message of God. They hate the message of the Bible. They hate biblical uh, marriage. They hate biblical families. They hate gender, male and female. They hate morality. They are godless people that absolutely live in the dark. And they are fire-breathing, spitting, hateful people towards God. On one hand, you can have total pity for them because they're living in the darkness of their own sin. And we used to live like that. But the illumination that God gives us and God defends us, God has your back. Nothing can happen to you unless the Lord allows it to happen. He will have that hedge about you as he did Job. And he has this wonderful cloud that is taking care of them. Then the driveway of deliverance in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And made the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. And the waters, get this, the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left, and the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. It blows all night long. It's dry ground because taking two to three million people across mucky, you know, it it would have been tough going. So it's dry ground. It's like a, a highway through the sea, and the children of Israel go through because God is preparing the way for you to go through something absolutely impossible. He can pave the way. He can dry the way. He can prepare the way of deliverance for us. And as that takes place, the Egyptians just, they take off. And it says the waters. Can you imagine being down in this trench and there's water up here on this wall and water here. And you know that all that has to happen is the water to collapse and you're toast, right? You're done. But the disaster of deliverance The disaster. Now it came to pass in verse 24, and the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army and the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. Now when God's messing with your enemy, isn't that just a beautiful moment? Like God's just messing with your enemy. It says, he troubled the army of the Egyptians and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. I think that's an understatement. Like if the Lord's knocking off the wheels of your chariot, you're dragging, you got one wheel going. Horses can drag, I guess, even more like a sled if it has no wheels on it. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Even the, the, your enemy knows the Lord is on your side. <laughs> it, it's really comical on one hand and tragic on another that everybody that sets their sight to destroy a child of God ends up putting the bullseye on themselves. The Bible says if you roll a stone to roll it over another person, it's going to roll on you. If you dig a pit for somebody else, you're the one that's going to fall into it. Haman wanted to destroy all the Israelites, but especially Mordecai. 
So his friend said, you should build a gallows. So he builds this gallows, 70 feet tall. It's like a seven-story building. It's this huge pole sticking up so that he can hang his worst enemy on it. But as God turns the tide of things, who ends up hanging on it? Haman. Every time people turn and set their bullseyes on the people of God, and you can be comforted in this, when somebody targets you and is coming after you, that's why the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I don't have to take vengeance myself. I, I don't have to uh, somehow dispense justice on my own. God will dispense it. Even when it seems like enemies are getting away with terrible things, never, ever forget, you guys, there is justice just beyond their last breath in the presence of God. Justice is coming. Justice is coming for the tyrants of this world that have destroyed people's lives. Justice is coming. Judgment is coming. We don't have to exact it ourselves. We just say, Lord, take vengeance. Lord, you deal with it. Lord, I, I don't know what to do. I had this guy that was uh, a farmer, but he also had a custom combining operation. And he had done a bunch of work for a guy across the valley and uh, when it, he, he showed up to get uh, his paycheck from harvesting all the guy's grain. And the guy looked at him. He, was just, he didn't know. It was the first time he had ever done any business with him. He found out later the guy had a terrible reputation just to be a, a bully in the area. He wouldn't pay his bills. So the guy just looked at my dad and laughed and said, I didn't like the job you, you did. You're, 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 you're not going um, to get a check. Well... As I just let the cat out of the bag, this was my dad. And my dad was a very violent man. But he had come to Jesus. He'd come to Christ. And normally he would just take his pound of flesh. He's like, well, I'm not going to get a check, but I'm going to knock the fire out of you, as they say. And he walked back to his truck when this guy had blown him up in a very arrogant way. And my dad just surrendered. He said, Lord... You say you don't want me to be a violent man. You, you don't want me to be this man that takes vengeance. So I just commit this to you. I don't, I don't know what that means. This is my first time in not killing somebody that's uh, basically done me wrong. And so this is a new life. And he goes home. <laughs> and he said, I, I've never taken it lightly since. He said the next week that guy was irrigating, driving on his uh, motorcycle, he wrecked at about 50 miles an hour, and he literally ripped his uh, leg off at the knee. It totally detached. It basically just took his, his leg off at the knee from a motorcycle wreck. And partly, you know, as a Christian, you're like, no, I didn't do that, right? I wanted to do that, but I didn't do that. And uh, for my dad, this very violent person, and I'm not saying that that always happens that way. Don't get me wrong. This is a very, you know, uh, one of those scenarios that just seem to happen boom, boom, one after the other. Because it seems like a lot of people go through this whole life and they're not going to get justice till the next life. So, I mean, it's not always cause and effect immediately. But the beauty is, is that God will fight for you. God will protect you. God will stand in the gap. And he's going to do it now. And even the Egyptians know they're in serious, serious trouble. So we now we see the finality of deliverance in verse 26. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. All the chariots, all of their cavalry, as their soldiers were in the, in the water, and the waters came down on them thinking, you know, you got armor on, uh, and they all drowned. None of them remained. When Moses let the Lord defend them, he buried the entire Egyptian army at one time. When he tried to do ministry on his own, he could not even bury one Egyptian in the sand and get away with it. When you try to defend yourself or you try to take things into your own hands, you just, apart from me, you can do nothing. You just can't be fruitful. But when you trust the Lord and you invite the Lord into that situation, um, God will work. Now, when God brings justice and judgment to tyrants, some people have a hard time with that because they think that all killing is wrong. Murder and killing are two different things. Murder is a premeditated or I hate this person, I'm going to go after them. The Bible says, you shall not murder. But throughout the scriptures, there is killing, which army against army, various things and situations, capital uh, punishment for those who kill someone, their life is to be taken. And the Bible knows nothing of the Christian uh, passivity that we see taught in some circles. Even after Noah's flood, it says, if you take a man's life, that man's life is to be taken in a capital punishment type of way. And when you don't do that, what happens is people become brazen because they know there's going to be no consequences for them, right? Yeah, so they're going to have the next 30 years in prison, right? They'll get three square meals a day. But when the Lord brings justice, when the Lord brings judgment in a righteous way, because he is the righteous judge to take care of his people, there's nothing wrong with it. As a matter of fact, the whole thing is going to bring glory to God. For those who would think that, you know, if this happened to the Nazis that are killing six million Jews in gas chambers, and justice came. You see, the sense of justice is a human trait because we are created in the, in the image of God. That bad people should suffer for bad things. And good people should be rewarded for good things. It's a sense of justice and fairness that is within us. Now, this also creates the greatest miracle of all probably the scriptures for the liberal-minded person about the Bible. Liberal-minded people, meaning they no longer believe the scriptures declare what it declares, say that this was not the Red Sea. God did not part the Red Sea because God's not big enough to do that. He doesn't do miracles. There was a strong wind, and this is the Reed Sea, and it's usually about 18 inches deep, and the wind blew, and they could go across, and it's 18 inches deep. Well, that doesn't really wash with the narrative, right? It says the water was a wall to them on the right, not ankle high. And this is the biggest miracle of all, that when the waters came down, that if it was the Reed Sea, it's a greater miracle that the entire Egyptian army could drown in 18 inches of water. That is, like, seriously. It's like one of those jokes when the person's floundering around in the water and the person on shore says, stand up, right? Stand up. Yeah, there's, you, you don't have to. Uh, there's, 
So the people that try to oftentimes, the people that try to make fun of the Bible's supernatural nature, in a backhanded way, it usually turns out quite embarrassing (laughs) for them in that regard. But the nice thing for them, they had been battling this for a long time, some, most of them their whole life, the oppressor of the Egyptians. The deliverance is final. They're never going to see these Egyptians again, ever, ever, ever. And it's so nice when that enemy that has been dogging you for years is finally, you know, they've moved away. Or there's like that, that season's over. Isn't it a relief, right, if you've ever had any conflict like that? And I don't care who you are, you're going to have some people that don't like you or conflict in life. And the more prominent you are in leadership, the more conflict you're going to have. Because leaders have more conflict than other individuals. When I left my church after 24 years, we had Saturday night, three Sunday services. That weekend, there was about 3,300 people at the church services that weekend. And I left. But one of my staff members said two weeks later, 400 more people came, and they were mainly people that had been offended by me over the 24 years that I had been there. It was like a whole other congregation of people, the kind of hate Rick club. And so you're, what church do you go to? Oh, we hate Rick. Do you? Okay, this is the church for you, right? This is the right spot. And, and you just have to, you know, experience that in the whole dynamic of, of leadership. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have conflict. So the most important thing is that you stay humble in a place of faith with God's leading and direction so that when you get it between this rock and the hard place, that you know you've maintained this relationship with God so that you can cry out to him in your time of need. And on top of that, some of us have gotten between a rock and a hard place, and we did it through dumb decisions. Do you know that God's mercy is there for that also? He doesn't give up on you. Jehoshaphat shouldn't have went to war with Ahab because Jehoshaphat was a godly king. Ahab was an ungodly king. And even Ahab duped him. He said, you know, I'm not going to go into the battle, but you go into the battle. You dress like the king and go into the battle. So, well, all the soldiers wanted to kill him. And Jehoshaphat did some stupid things. God didn't want him there. But in the middle of the battle, when everybody started coming after him, it says, he cried out for the Lord and the Lord delivered him. Even when I get a bad case of the stupids, God will deliver me when I cry out to him. And don't look at me like you don't because I know you. You are people just like me. It doesn't mean you don't have little stupid periods in your life where you lose touch and you're not exactly where the Lord wants you. Lastly, we have the follow-up of deliverance. What was the whole point that we started this chapter about? Verse 29, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. These guys are washing up on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. The people feared the Lord and they believed the Lord and they had a new esteem for their leader, Moses, through all of this conflict. That's the best case scenario, that the Lord is revered, the Lord, uh, we put our faith in him, and the leadership that was in that place of dependence and crying out for God has a new esteem in our eyes because they trusted God when nobody else wanted to. They trusted God when nobody else wanted to. And if you want to be the person that shines bright when conflicts come and the enemies rise up, and, and People call it heroic. It's not, it's not heroism. 
it's absolutely panic, like, God help me. And people think, you're so brave. No, I'm not, I'm a big chicken. But God is awesome, so I'm gonna trust God to help me in this situation, and he's going to deliver. The Lord will never, ever not respond to your 911 call in your desperation. He will respond according to his will, according to his timing, according to the circumstances. And it may not be in the same fashion that we think it should be, but he will deliver. And at the end of it, you know what? You want to tell everybody how awesome God was, right? Because when things like this happen, who, who becomes the hero of the story? God does. Who's the hero of our story? Jesus. He's the hero of our story. And so tough circumstances give the opportunity for the Lord to shine and be the hero of our story. When we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, there's only one answer, and his name's Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would meet us in this moment at the end of this service. Lord, I pray that uh, I know most of the people here today, life is, is peaceful. And uh, thank God, without a lot of drama. But for some here... Lord, they're really in a tough spot. And I just pray that your kindness and your love and your mercy and your grace and your spirit would speak to them today, that you draw them close to yourself, that you haven't forgotten them, you haven't given up on them, that you're with them, and that you're going to bring them through this as they trust you by faith. So, Lord, bring them through. And whatever that means, Lord, to bring them through, and to give them supernatural deliverance, Lord, we pray that you would meet them and that they would sense your touch today. In Jesus' name, amen. I've seen light in the darkness. I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die Whoa 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 worry about tomorrow or fear in times of trouble I keep my heart seeking you oh, I will keep my heart seeking you Whoa